You know our necessities before we ask and our ignorance in asking. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. I'm going to start this morning with a confession. Don't worry, it's not, it's not too juicy. One of the reasons I became an Episcopalian around the age of 40, from living my entire life as a Baptist, and by no stretch, it was not the only nor even the primary reason for making the switch, but it was certainly in the top three, was the aesthetics of the Anglican or the Episcopal tradition, the way things look. I love Gothic and Neo-Gothic architecture. I like archways, rounded curves. I like the wood, uh, the dark wood, um, the stained glass windows that tell stories. The symbolism of so many aspects of our architecture is rich, it's varied. Many of our churches hold the stories and testimonies of God's people, your stories, the way God is acting and moving in your life. But our buildings also tell stories. They're built into the building. For instance, uh, the place where you are sitting, where you out here are sitting now is called what? It's called the nave, right? It's shares a, a Latin root with what word? The Navy, right? It's a Latin, it means a ship or a boat. And so if you look at the ceiling in this church, and this is true for many, but not all of our churches, it's supposed to remind you of being in sort of the, the bottom of a ship. Jesus taking his disciples out on the Sea of Galilee, sailing together on a journey, on a pilgrimage. It's all part of, you're sitting even now within a story. There's an Irish folk group, imagine that, <laughs> called the Water Boys. They have this song called Strange Boat. My former colleague at Cassidy School, she was the principal of the middle school, the junior high division. We called them directors there. Uh, she was this sort of like extravagant, over-the-top Irish woman, Livy Larson. Uh, she dressed like uh, Stevie Nicks, and she would, her, just having an Irish accent, she intimidated parents. They loved it. But she would every year give a chapel talk about the strange boat that was being a junior high community, and she would always allude to the nave, to the ceiling. You watch the kids look up and see that, and it's usually an image that sticks, and then we would sing the song. A building that tells a story, architecture that helps us frame our own stories, helps, helps us assign meaning to our lives. Good design does that, right, Tim? Good design does that sort of thing, and I love it. As we're gathered here today in the nave, in the sacred space, uh, there are people watching our stream. It's becoming a very common thing. Um, there's a significant gaggle, I love that word, gaggle of our folk who right now are in Washington, D.C. As we speak, they are worshiping probably right now or will be soon at the National Cathedral in D.C. 
My wife, Karen, is there singing with them. She is part and parcel to uh, something that's very unique in church culture, and that's an intergenerational choir called the Choristers. This is one of the beautiful pieces that our canon musician, Joey Ripka, has brought into our community. Um, and they are there right now helping the cathedral, the National Cathedral, lead their worship. And thank you to all of you who helped support them financially to go, because it's a big deal. This afternoon, they're going to be leading evening prayer. And it's four o'clock their time, and it's three o'clock our time, and Mother Sarah's gonna tell you at the welcome about how we can all get together this afternoon and, uh, and worship with them. It's pretty cool. By show of hands in the room, how many here have actually been to the National Cathedral in Washington, D.C.? Good job, right? For those of you who have not been, I, I cannot, I just cannot highly recommend them. I can't find words. Next time you, you go to D.C., you've got to schedule time to go see the National Cathedral. It is a stunning creation of art and architecture. The National Cathedral was and is an, an aspiration of the Episcopal denomination in the United States. Uh, it is the official seat of our presiding bishop, the primary bishop of the United States, Michael Curry. He's known as the right reverend. I'm sorry, the most reverend Michael Curry. It's also the seat of the bishop of the Diocese of Washington, D.C., which has a lot of churches. Her name is the right reverend Marion Booty. Uh, the cathedral there was a vision of our church that began, once you hear this, in the late 1800s. And in 1893, because if you build something in Washington, D.C., it has to be approved, uh, at least at the time, by the Congress, they granted our church a charter to build a national cathedral in our nation's capital. From its earliest days, that cathedral has been promoted as more than simply an Episcopal cathedral for us. The planners hoped that it would play a role similar to Westminster Abbey in London. They wanted it to be a place that would serve as a national shrine, a venue for important services for the entire nation. For much of that cathedral's history, this was captured in a phrase they called a house of prayer for all people. In more recent times, the phrase has evolved. It's now called the National House of Prayer, a spiritual home for the nation. And as all of you have watched how our country has become increasingly and painfully aware of our divisions, this is a lofty challenge to create a space that is welcoming to all people. The cathedral has achieved this status over the years by simply offering itself for important services, and political leaders have, for the most part, agreed to embrace the National Cathedral as this sacred space. By the way, I got most of this from Wikipedia. Just wanna note that. The cornerstone was laid in 1907 in the presence of President Theodore Roosevelt. There was a crowd of 20,000 people there at the time, and it was officially completed 83 years later. The final finial was placed in the presence of President George H.W. Bush in 1990, himself at the time being a practicing Episcopalian. 
So far, the last Episcopalian serving as president. Now, our biblical tradition, the collection of stories, the ethos of the biblical stories, is very conflicted about aspirations like this. It's one of the things that I truly have come to find affection for as I read the Bible, this atmosphere of those who wrote it and compiled it. The writers of the Bible, for the most part, don't spin things. The full range of actions, the motivations, all of the, all of the ethical approaches are all there. All of them. And you, all, you and I know this, some of us painfully, that we live now in a culture that is asking us and requiring us to always be curating and shaping our public images. I feel that pressure all the time. And so the fact that the biblical accounts do this, sort of lay everything out there, I find very otherworldly and strange in a refreshing way. Not always. <laughs> But direct to that, the biblical account consistently is conflicted about the building, the creation, the construction of beautiful, sacred space. I say conflicted because the people across these stories, they do build spaces. They set up shrines. They consecrate holy items. But when King David, the first king in Israel's history, when he became king, he told the prophet Nathan that one of the first things he wanted to do was to build a beautiful building for God. To a, a place that would hold the Ark of the Covenant. That God, yes, is everywhere, but God would live most intensely in that hot spot, in that beautiful building. It was called the mercy seat in the Ark of the Covenant. And God's response? The prophet Nathan was surprising. The prophet Nathan told him, God does not live in houses made by men. And then he continues, he says, Moses, God told Moses to create a tent where God would dwell. Make it portable. Make it practical. But even so, God tells David that he will allow it. He'll allow the building of the temple, and it will be his son, Solomon, who builds it. And Solomon does build the temple. And by all accounts in the scriptures, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful building. But if you do a close reading in those first nine chapters of 1 Kings, you will notice the means by which Solomon built this beautiful building was sketchy. He overtaxed the people. Can I get amen from my Republican friends? He overtaxed the people to build this building. He conscripted slave labor to build it. Can I get an amen from my Democratic friends? <laughs> and he began to hoard wealth. And he justified it by saying it was for the Lord. Solomon's temple, that temple would later be burned to the ground by King Nebuchadnezzar. It would be rebuilt sadly and poorly the people complained about it when they were recovering from centuries of occupation. And then eventually, a king named King Herod, does that sound familiar? He was an unethical, duplicitous puppet king of the Romans. And he built a beautiful building. 
Father Tim Sean ruins everything. But let me circle back. I love beautiful spaces. I love the beautiful spaces that we have created in the Episcopal world. That beautiful space where our intergenerational piece of our community is leading worship right now. And again, it's one of the reasons that I left the Baptist world and became an Anglican. But as I walk through these beautiful spaces, I want to do it with clear eyes. And I want you to do the same. The beautiful buildings, the one that God allows us to build, they are not the thing. They are not the thing. At their best, they are supposed to point us to the actual thing. And that our lives, your life, my life, will become temples of God. We become the temples of God. Jesus is the body of, of Christ. We are the body of Christ. God dwells in us, and he makes us truly beautiful spaces of justice and mercy, responsibility and grace. And we become like portable tents that move throughout the world, bringing that beauty, that beauty of God to the world. And so, dear friends, our intergenerational choir, which is an extension of us, as they share that beauty and that truth in that beautiful space in Washington, D.C., let us never forget the true building that God wants to build in you, even while he allows us to build beautiful buildings. Mercifully give us those things for which our unworthiness we dare not, and in our blindness we cannot ask. Oh God, you know what we need, even before we ask, and you know our ignorance in asking. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Wait. P.S. <laughs> the National Cathedral was built with several, several intentional flaws in keeping with the medieval custom that sought to illustrate that only God, only God is truly perfect.